Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast series. Today, we are excited to welcome Mark Goldwine, Senior Vice President for the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, or CRFB. I'm your host, Jason McSherry, and today we're gonna be talking a little bit about the national budget um, and our national deficit. And as Senior Vice President, Mark has been with the CRFB for about 14 years. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just jump right into this. Um, you know, obviously, when we're talking about the federal budget, it's going to be huge. We're talking about numbers that most of us can't even fathom. So we'll probably just kind of be able to t scratch the surface a little bit and get a, some big picture items. But can you start by just talking a little bit about the Committee for a Responsible Fiscal Budget? Like when was the committee formed? What is it that, that you do? Thanks for asking. So it's actually the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget. Um, and we are a nonpartisan organization, um, basically a think tank in Washington that focuses on budget issues. We are completely nonpartisan. Our board has Democrats, Republicans, and independents, including some very prominent ones like Leon Panetta and Mitch Daniels. Um, and they disagree on a lot, but they agree that we can't have a uh, debt that is unsustainable over the long term and that we're going to need to take corrective actions to bring our budget in order. So when you talk about um, having an unsustainable budget, does that mean that we need to get a balanced budget or swing back the other way, like with uh, a budget that actually provides a little bit of a surplus to cut that deficit? Well, look, so the bigger your economy, the more debt you can afford to have. Think about this like an individual. If you're making $2 million a year and you have a, $200,000 mortgage, no problem. If you're making $20,000 a year and you have a $200,000 mortgage, that might be tougher to swing. Same thing for the federal government. The richer we are as a society, the more debt we can afford. And so we don't really need to balance the budget. So long as we have economic growth, all we need to do is keep our new borrowing low enough so that our economy is growing faster than our debt. Um, economists call this declining debt to GDP ratio. Our debt is declining relative to the economy. We don't need that all the time. In fact, there are times it's really smart to borrow, but our, our general trajectory should be towards declining debt to GDP ratio. So then how does that compare with what our, our deficit for our country is? I mean, what, what kind of trajectory uh, have we been on and where, where would we like to see it go? Yeah, so last year, the national debt exceeded the size of the economy for the only time in our history, except for a brief period just after World War II. Um, we have record levels, essentially record levels of debt now. And thanks to the aging of the population and rising healthcare costs, and frankly, fiscal irresponsibility, kind of continued tax cuts and spending increases, that debt is projected to continue growing even once we fully recovered from the current recession. Um, it's projected to be double the size of the economy within 30 years. And that's with making some generous assumptions. That is clearly unsustainable. That puts us um, to a place that really only one country in the world has successfully made it to without some kind of crisis. So how do we, how do we change that trajectory? So we don't wanna reduce deficits right now. Right now we need to be providing money to support the economy and to help households and businesses get through this COVID crisis. But as the crisis subsides and things start to get back to normal, um, we can't be running trillion dollar, trillion and a half dollar deficits. We need a plan to gradually raise more tax revenue 
um, so we're paying for the government we have, and slow the growth of spending, especially spending on healthcare and retirement, um, which is growing quite quickly and, and not spent or allocated particularly well. You brought up a couple of things right there that I, I, I want to dive into a little bit more. One of which, let's start with the obvious one, because it's the one that everybody is, is on top of the mind right now, and that's the pandemic. And obviously, there have been several stimulus packages that have been passed uh, to try to help weather that storm, but it has also contributed significantly to our deficit. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how those packages have impacted our deficit um, and what we might be looking for as we continue forward till we finally emerge from this? So um, going back to actually February, but especially March um, of last year, Congress has enacted about four and a half trillion dollars of support for the economy and for the pandemic. Some of that is loans and tax deferrals. So when you kind of do a net cost, they've essentially added about three and a half trillion dollars to the debt, um, to, to the current and projected debt. That's a lot of money, but this is also a really big emergency. And it's exactly the time that you do want to be doing a lot of borrowing. So we had a record high deficit of $3.1 trillion last year. We're probably going to have a deficit of $2.5 trillion, $2.3 this year. Those would be astronomical and unacceptable deficits in normal times, um, but totally appropriate deficits given the severity of this current crisis. And what is our, our nation's current deficit? So this year, as I said, um, our debt is about as large as the economy, 100% of GDP. Um, our deficit this year, we think it'll be about 10% of GDP, um, about two, and, two to two and a half trillion dollars. That is tremendous amount of money. Most of that is COVID relief. But even in 2019, before this crisis hit, we were running trillion dollar deficits, which was uh, the highest they'd ever been outside of the Great Recession. And for my, for my taste, far too high to be sustainable. So now you're saying that in the last few years, we've had these unsustainable deficits and, and trade deficits. How did we get there? Like what, what has transpired uh, and how long has this trend been going on? So the last time the United States ran a balanced budget was 2001 or the beginning of 2002. Um, since then we had, after that we had periods of small deficits followed by the Great Recession which is very large deficits followed by shrinking and followed by growing again. There are cyclical factors like recessions and um, you know, attacks on our country and stuff that have affected this. But underlying those cyclical factors, Congress keeps cutting taxes and they keep increasing spending. And I say Congress, it's Congress and the president. A lot of this has happened under President Trump, but it's not mostly been Republicans only. Um, Republicans alone did pass a big tax cut bill in 2017, um, but that's only 40% of the total deficit increase President Trump signed into law. Um, it was accompanied by several rounds of bipartisan tax cuts and huge bipartisan spending increases to defense and non-defense. So there, there's not a lot of innocent parties here, although uh, President Trump has certainly done, done quite the number to make the fiscal situation much, much worse. And as you said too, uh, there are a lot of unforeseen items, like when you're talking about the last time that we had uh, a non-deficit was 2001, obviously since then we had experienced the Great Recession um, and there were stimulus packages that went along with that. And as you said, cyclical, those are things that you can't necessarily um, anticipate sometimes. 
you can't anticipate that, but you know, that's another reason why in good times you should run low deficits to sort of reload the ammo, to give yourself space so when there are bad times, you can run big deficits and don't have to worry about it so much. And I think you had kind of actually just mentioned it a little bit, but uh, things such as these recessions and pandemics seem to have the impact. But it also, I think I heard you say that sometimes uh, right after the war, when we have a, a military conflict, we uh, do tend to have some, some significant deficits as a result of that. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, you know, after the attack of 9-11, there was some, you know, you never have to do spending. There was some spending that really we had to do. You know, I mean, we had to boost our Homeland Security. We had to, to basically do 9/11 insurance. Um, we had to respond in some way militarily, whether whether that meant um, you know um, invading Afghanistan and trying to topple the Taliban. That was a choice. Um, whether that meant we had to go into Iraq, that was a, that was a choice that maybe wasn't even relevant. But all these things cost money, um, and some of them were at least not fully of our own choosing. They came out of things things that were first thrust upon us, like a uh, terrorist attack or a recession or a pandemic. And when you're talking about like the military there and, and I actually also want to kind of jump back uh, with, to something that you had mentioned previously too, you were talking a little bit about some healthcare spending. Um, while some of that is probably areas that we can control or not control is uh, I believe that the Medicare and healthcare spending and also like our Fence spending, those are probably two of our largest areas of our, our, our federal budget. Um, and how much, I think, if I'm not mistaken, some of those things are, are items that we have very little control over and are, are fixed costs. Um, so it doesn't leave a lot of room in our budget to potentially try to reverse some of that deficit. Is that right? So our single largest federal government program is Social Security. Second and third largest, to your point, is Medicare and Defense. If you add those three together, that's about half of the budget. Um, now, these aren't none of these are fixed in the sense that we can change them anytime we want, but it's politically really hard, and some of the smart changes take time to phase in. Um, you know, you're not just going to say to the military, you know, we're laying off half of the half of the battalion, right? We're not. You, um, we need to make those changes thoughtfully. Same thing for Medicare. There's lots of ways we can reduce healthcare costs, but they take time. And for Social Security, we got to keep a warning. So it, it, it's not that these are fixed costs, but it is very hard to make big changes in the near term. Um, what you're best off doing is having a 10, 20, in the case of social security, even 75 year plan and working towards your changes. So then I'm gonna put you on the spot here with the big questions on, on some of those, since those are big items that can be affected over time. What, what is it that the CRFB kind of recommends as some slow changes to kind of head us in the right direction to reduce the deficit based off of those programs, but probably still maintain the services that they provide. Yeah, so when it comes to Medicare, the place to start is to find ways where we can get essentially the same value or better value of healthcare or similar value for lower cost. Um, there, there are situations where we're overpaying Providers are reimbursing them for things we don't need to reimburse them for. Um, there are cases we pay for the same procedure. We pay more if it's a hospital than a doctor's office. We actually pay more if it's a hospital-owned doctor's office than a non-hospital-owned doctor's office. That makes no sense. So we can equalize those payments. There's ways we can address monopoly pricing. You know, get a, get drug costs under control. 
there are a lot of policies in the health space that will reduce costs both for the federal government and for actually the people that are on Medicare. And that's where we should start. We may then need to have some tougher choices, like saying that higher earning seniors are going to pay a bit more, or we're going to do a little more managed care, where people aren't going to get as good services. But we don't have to start there. We can start with the low-hanging fruit where we can lower lower costs. On Social Security, we really need a comprehensive plan, something that's going to, this program is 10 years from insolvency. In 2031, its trust fund's going to be empty and all benefits will be cut across the board 25%. We need a pretty rapid plan to figure out how to steer us away from that. And it's probably going to be some combination of higher revenue, especially, I think, uh, applying the payroll tax to people at higher earnings levels above that current cap of something like 140 some thousand dollars. Um, it's probably going to involve changes to the benefit formula that say that maybe higher earners are going to receive less in benefits and we're going to count more years. Um, and, and I hope it also includes things like adjustments, gradual adjustments to the retirement age, you know, not raising it from 67 to 68 overnight, but, you know, over a 25 year period, I think we can afford to raise the age one year that gives people plenty of time to plan and adjust. And you mentioned about um, being about 10 years from insolvency as things are currently set or trending. Both Medicare and Social Security, we're, we're actually probably on the wrong side of the bell curve when it comes to this, because we do have a lot, a very large number of Americans that are approaching ages or getting to ages where they're going to be drawing on those benefits. Um, how does that seem to, to affect? Is that going to speed things up even more than that? Or is that 10 years factoring that in? Yeah, that makes it that much harder. Um, the, the right time, we've known about Social Security's challenges since at least 1990. Um, you know, we knew the baby boomers were going to be retiring starting in the 2010s, and they did. Um, and now it's too late to make a lot of the kinds of smart changes that would have been really, really gradual. So, um, you know, with 10 years left, maybe we have 13 or 14 years left, depending on, um, you know, how the economy grows and other factors. We now have to make some changes that are a little more abrupt. Um, and a larger share of the burden of any solution is going to fall on young people. So in your opinion, both Medicare and Social Security uh, have some adjustments that need to be made, but they are both sustainable programs that we can figure out a way to make them work for Americans for, for generations to come. There, there's nothing fundamental about Social Security or Medicare that means that they, they can't work, but they're both unsustainable in their current forms. Um, they will both need adjustments, um, not drastic, but significant adjustments in order to get their revenue and spending in line. So moving on then to defense spending, uh, that's a very large chunk. You said it's what the third largest line item in our, our budget. How do we try to reduce some of that expense? We've enacted pretty large increases to defense spending in the last in the last few years. Um, President Trump signed it a law, but on a bipartisan basis. In fact, more than the Department of Defense even asked for. Um, I think that we need to rethink that. Whether during a time of you know such large deficits, we can be giving the Defense Department ninety billion dollars of extra money per year. Uh, we don't need to keep building every weapon system we're building every way we are, including many that are obsolete. There's a lot of bureaucracy within the Department of Defense, extra layers that are unnecessary. Uh, there are benefits that aren't particularly well structured that are very costly. You know, one of the uh, fastest running, fastest rising costs within defense spending is actually healthcare costs. And so getting healthcare costs under control can help get defense costs under control. 
Um, so there's a lot we can do. Uh, you know, you can't cut the Defense Department in half unless you really fundamentally change America's mission. But um, we could probably get it 10% smaller than it is today um, with just smart changes to how we to how we spend. Not that they're costless, but without a sort of fundamental rethink of of America and the world. That's a great segue, actually, because um, it goes into one of the other things that I wanted to, to mention was about America's policy and foreign policy. And I assume that that is also a major contributor to uh, some of the deficits that we have because of military operations or foreign aid. Um, how, how much does that play into the, the deficit? We're still spending $70 billion a year on what's called overseas contingency operations, which is basically the money originally earmarked for Iraq and Afghanistan. A lot of that's still going to Afghanistan and, to, and, and Iraq and Syria and elsewhere. Um, those foreign conflicts are very expensive. Now, $70 billion a year, you know, considering we're running a $2.5 trillion def deficit, that's not the biggest line item, but it's pretty expensive when you consider it year over year. And so just getting out of some of these conflicts abroad could save serious money. So then um, switching back to, to things on a more domestic front though, uh, we hit on Medicare, Social Security, defense spending as the three biggest items that contribute to probably about half of our, our federal budget. What about the other items? What else is, makes up our federal budget and what are some of those areas that are contributing most to our deficit? Yeah, so, so on the spending side, we have other healthcare programs like Medicaid and Obamacare. Um, we also have um, a lot of what you think of as the core functions of the federal government. Um, everything we spend on highways, the federal workforce, the, you know, the parks and Department of Interior, the EPA, the Department of State, including everything we do dipl diplomatically. And then we have important income support programs, um, everything from subsidized student loans to food stamps to welfare unemployment benefits, which are huge right now. Um, there, there are a lot of areas of the budget. Um, not a lot of them are growing particularly quickly. Medicaid is. The others are growing at, at a reasonable pace. But we got to look at all of them to see if there's, if there's waste. There's also an entire other side of the ledger, and that's the revenue side. How much are we raising in taxes to pay for the government? And we keep cutting the amount that we um, are raising in taxes to pay for the government. Meanwhile, there's about $1.5 trillion in what we call tax expenditures basically tax preferences in the code um, that look a lot like spending, except for they mostly subsidize rich people instead of, you know, instead of providing important income support. And anyone that's not looking at the tax expenditures, I don't think is really taking the budget situation seriously enough. So you mentioned that we've been cutting taxes a lot over the recent years. How, how, does, um, how does our current tax rates compared to 20, 40, 50 years ago? Overall, our income tax rates um, are really the lowest, near the lowest they've ever been. They're not quite the lowest overall. Um, our, our actual statutory rates did fall down to the low of the top rate of 28% after the, the 1986 tax reforms under Reagan. That was part of an effort to also cut a lot of tax breaks. Um, but for most of our history, tax rates have been higher than they are than they are today, um, and our corporate rate is the lowest it's ever it's ever been. I will say that relative to other countries, um, our income tax is not that out of whack. It it's a bit lower, but it's not that out of whack. Um, 
the real difference is that every other country has big consumption taxes, a value-added tax, and we don't. Um, and that's a big source of revenue that we're missing relative to everybody else in the world. That's an interesting item to bring up here. Um, consumption tax, that's one of those things that has been floated around for, for many years, but hasn't seemed to get any real traction. Do you, do you foresee a potential consumption tax in any shape or form in our country or on a state level? Well, so states do have consumption taxes. They're called sales taxes. A lot of them just aren't designed very well. And we have seen over the years um, a decent number of reforms that I think um, have worked in some states to make them better. At the federal level, as much as I would love to see a value-added tax, I don't think it's in the cards in the near term. Um, we maybe could see in a very unlikely scenario, but more likely a carbon tax, which is a tax on certain types of consumption. I don't think that's particularly likely either, but um, there's at least support in some circles for that, whereas the value-added tax doesn't seem to have support in pretty much any circles right now. So we've talked a little bit about like all of the different programs and line items in the federal budget that are currently adding to our deficit and what we might be able to do to, to try to curb some of those. Let's flip the switch a little bit. Are there items in, missing from our budget that we probably need to consider that could be a, add, a, an addition to our deficit going forward? So in the near term, um, while we provided, I think, a lot of important COVID relief, an area that we've probably spent too little on is to support states and localities. Um, not out of the goodness of our hearts, but because we don't want states cutting their workforce the same time that we're trying to, re to get people back to work in the private sector. And so I do think in the near term, some more money from states, probably a bit more COVID relief in the form of unemployment benefits going past this, this deadline of March would be helpful. Over the medium and long term, uh, we have a very consumption-oriented and senior-oriented budget. Most of our spending goes to seniors to spend. Very little of it goes to investment, things like infrastructure research, and very little of it goes to children. Um, children are only 10% of the entire federal budget, 9% actually, and they're shrinking. And so I do think there's room to um, increase our investment in children, especially in areas like education that are investments, and to do smart increases in infrastructure and research. That doesn't mean, you know, come up with a $2 trillion number, then figure how to fill it, because that's going to lead to garbage where every politician is going to, you know, want their own bridge to nowhere. But uh, we could do a lot more to get smart pro-growth needed infrastructure in this country and move us towards an investment-oriented budget overall. So if I were a member of Congress and we happen to jump in the same elevator and we'll say it's the Empire State going to give a little bit of a, a longer trip on the elevator up to the top, what would you what would you try to pitch as some quick items that might start to reshape our federal budget uh, to try to reduce the deficit? I think the best way that we can start the process of reducing the deficit is to address our uh, federal trust funds. The highway trust fund is likely to run out of money this year or next. The Medicare hospital insurance trust fund and the social security disability trust fund are both gonna run out of money mid-decade and the social security retirement trust fund 2031 to 2034. So we gotta address all these trust funds. Now, if we fix the trust funds, we go a long way towards improving the debt situation because um, we don't have to rely on sort of general revenue transfers to finance them. We don't go all the way, we go a long way. Um, if we could do that, 
and we could commit that all new spending we will pay for, all new tax cuts we will pay for, um, that would put us not in a sustainable path, but on a path that um, we could live with for a while before needing further correction. Those are some scary numbers that you just just mentioned. Uh, several trust funds that are looking to be insolvent within, I think you said the the highway within the next year or two. Right. Um, uh, how many how many programs or funds do we have that are that are in danger of falling into this this status? There, it's really those four trust funds: highway trust funds, social security disability, social security old age, and Medicare hospital insurance. On top of that, there's two smaller funds that aren't quite trust funds, but there's the flood insurance program and the pension benefit guarantee program. All six of those funds um, will be out of money, will be out of reserve sometime in the next 10 years, maybe 15 years if we're lucky. So as an average citizen and taxpayer, what would you say to me that would help me temper expectations for what it, what needs to be done to, to have a responsible budget and reduce our deficit? And what would you ask or recommend that citizens and taxpayers do uh, to try to help on an individual basis? Yeah, I mean, for starters, don't accept the snake oil salesman pitch. Um, these politicians come here year after year and they promise you lower taxes and higher spending for you and don't worry, we're gonna cut waste. Um, that, that's not a sustainable promise. Um, we can be a low tax, low spending country or we can be a high tax, high spending country. What we can't be is a country with Canada's spending levels and Mexico's tax levels. Can't be a low tax, high spending country indefinitely. And so these promises are gonna to to be broken. Um, so the first step is be skeptical of big promises that don't have pay for us associated with them. They don't say how they're gonna pay for it. It's probably too good to be true and if, and if it goes forward, it's just more cost imposed under your children and grandchildren. Number two, we got to get these trust fund solutions sooner rather than later. So you need to demand some action on the trust funds. Um, and number three, uh, understand that we're all going to at some point have to make some hard choices. Um, we're not going to be able to enjoy the same low level of taxes with all the tax breaks that we enjoy now and all the, spend, all the benefits we enjoy now. It's just the math doesn't work. So if I if our listeners and wanted to learn a little bit more about some of this and get more details on what the recommendations are or where our federal budget is, where can where can we direct them to find that? Great question. So I recommend everyone check out crfb.org. That's our website. And then if you want to specifically learn about what's going on with the COVID relief, covidmoneytracker.org, which is kind of a very cool interactive tool. covidmoneytracker.org. I have not heard of that. What is on, what is on that site? covidmoneytracker.org uh, follows every single action taken during the current crisis with a budget component, either by the Congress, by the executive branch, by the agencies, or by the Federal Reserve. And then it tracks it all. So, so it starts at a very high level, you know, where we've committed $500 billion for unemployment benefits. And then you can dig in and you can see um, you know, 300 went to this program and 100 went to this program. And you can dig further and you can see um, 6 billion went to the state, this state for this program and 4 billion to that state. Or you can dig in and say, well, Delta Airlines got this much money from this airline relief program. 
we're trying to track everything at a very high level and down to the granular level um, and also show folks what state the money's going to and how much of it is out the door. I'll definitely have to check that out. I've, I've not been to that yes. site before. COVIDmoneytracker.org, highly recommend. Perfect. And then of course you said crfb.org, which is the website for your organization. That's right, crfb.org. Perfect. Um, Mark, I do wanna thank you. I know we're coming up on our time limit here. So I wanna thank you again for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to explain this. Uh, it is, we covered a lot in a very short period of time and it's a lot of things to kind of think about and um, digest all at once, but I think you encapsulated everything uh, and kind of gave us a really good overview of where our budget, our federal budget is and our deficit and what we need to do to, to try to turn the corner again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Mark. You take care. Uh, hopefully we can have you back again in the future and maybe we'll be heading in the uh, better direction with our budget and deficit. Um, I hope so.